Satnam, I'm Guru Prakarmakar. Guru Singh and I travel the world, loving to meet an ever-growing global community. We are appreciative of your vital role on this planet, for it is your willingness to be here and listen that calls forth wisdom, that activates our collective voice in service. Your questions bring forth the answers. For a wealth of information about who we are and what we do, please visit gurusingh.com. Bless you. Satnam. Satnam. Two things about what we were just working on. One is that heart brain is rhythm. The head brain is harmony. Harmonic, not harmonic. Two-dimensional. The gut brain is connecting. So when you're in chanting, you want to connect your gut and your heart and your head. When we chant Aung Namo Gurudev Namo, Aung resonates in the head. Namo resonates in the gut because N, M, and B and P, those consonants, close off the, the mouth and force the sound down the esophagus into the gut. And so, Aung Namo, now you've opened the head and the gut. Guru Deva. These jump from the chest. These are just explosive consonants. And that opens the heart center. And so what happens when we tune in, Aung Namo Gurudev Namo, is we're tuning our head chamber, our chest chamber, and our gut chamber, the three chambers of our experience, into the fact that we are going to do something now that's going to be yoga, uniting them all. When you're chanting Namo, when you're chanting any uh, gut mantra, you want to try and go what is called in the Buddhist tradition, Tibetan Buddhist tradition, to become multitonal or bitonal. And you chant Aung Namo You hear the two tones? Because what happens is that then the head has no control over the gut. And once the head has no control over the gut, the gut merges with the head and heart. The head wants to be the boss. And any time there's a boss, it becomes bossy. Hmm? And so that when the head is the boss of your whole system, the gut gets an occasional you know, opportunity to be involved. You know, maybe when you're hungry. Or, and the heart gets an occasional opportunity to be involved, maybe when you're out of breath. But what you want to do is you want to create the opportunity for everything to be involved so that when you plug in to your moment, you have a three-pronged plug. And what gives you in a three-pronged plug to expand the metaphor? It's that you're grounded. Hmm? It's that you have stability. 
And so chanting in that multi-tonal way is achieved by the lips being closed and you moving your tongue about the roof of your mouth. So chant Namo Chew, chew the sound. Now you are bitonal chanters. And it is a very important event because all of a sudden when you start chanting bitonally, you don't, you're not, you're very, it's very difficult for your head brain. When you're chanting and you're thinking about stuff, and you're chanting and you're thinking about stuff, it means that your gut and your heart aren't engaged. And your head is so, you know, such a show-off that it's not engaged with your chanting. It's thinking in addition to your chanting. It's saying, look at me, look at me look at me, or look at this, look at this. And that's not what you want to be doing when you're chanting. You don't want to be looking at this or that or the other thing. You want to be experiencing the sensation of chanting. And when you're, back to point here, when you're experiencing the sensation of chanting, don't say a word. Watch my hand. You got good Sad good good day, good You got good Sad good good opportunity
back in the day, thousands of years ago, yogis said, be desireless. Because they were trying to teach how to not be located in the difference between your desire, which is your preference, and what is actually taking place, which is your presence. And so what the yogis were trying to get you to do by saying, be desireless, was to get you not to pay any attention to your preference, therefore you would not be drawn into the difference, therefore you could be able to sit in your presence. You could experience your experience. When you actually come to now, when you actually experience your experience, even if it's brushing your teeth, even, even if it's having a glass of water, it's a profound experience. When you brush your teeth, are you brushing your teeth? When you have a glass of water, are you merging with that hydrogen and oxygen? What happens when you breathe and are conscious of your breathing? You absorb seven times the amount of prana, the amount of life force, than when you're breathing and unaware that you're breathing. When you are breathing and you are conscious of your breathing, you absorb seven times the amount of life force as you do when you're unconsciously breathing. When are you most unconscious of your breathing? When you are sleeping. And that's why immediately after sleeping we do sadhana. Because we want to get ourselves back in touch with our life force. And in sadhana we do a lot of pranayama, a lot of breath meditation work, which gets us back in touch. People will always say, well, you know, if I don't have time in the morning, can I do it in the afternoon or the evening? And the answer is yes. But the other answer is make time. <laughs> when you are conscious of anything, you absorb more of the experience. When you absorb more of the experience, you're more alive. Because the life force is more active. Right now, I'd like you to sit, please, rather than legs in the air, because what's happening What's happening is with your legs in the air, everyone behind you is being distracted. So just really be aware of the group consciousness. When you are aware of what's happening around you, when you are aware of those people around you, 
When you are aware of the life force around you and you are absorbing those people around you, you are absorbing that life force around you, then your purpose in life is not so much to express yourself, it is to experience yourself. When all you want to do is express yourself, you become empty because ultimately you are not absorbing life force. You're expending life force and eventually you will run out. And that's why that bumper sticker, life is hell then you die, is very prophetic. <laughs> what you want to be able to do is absorb the moment. and then expand the moment. That is your presence. And then expand the moment to absorb your preference. Because the moment is not going to be your preference necessarily. You may feel stiff, you may feel sad, you may feel any number of things that are not going to be your preference. What the Buddha said was, if you experience anything fully enough, it turns to joy. What that joy is, is that suddenly your presence included your preference. And how does your presence include your preference when time is involved? What happens is that you become your moment. You expand your presence. It begins to envelop your preference. And within that envelopment, a map is drawn. Then you see the map. Then you experience the map. And you realize that in any multi-step program, the distance from where, to, where you are to who you want to be is a matter of steps. In the addictive process, they've built a 12-step program. In this process, the yogis of the ancient times built a process of 108 steps. From ignorance to enlightenment, And the way that you get to that is that what I am to be, I already am. The realization that what is to be, already is, has to be. Infinity must be all-inclusive. Infinity must contain eternity. And eternity contains now and forever. Whatever the moment is, is within forever. It's all an exercise, but that exercise cannot just be achieved with the head brain. That exercise must be achieved by inserting and plugging in all three brains. Head brain, heart brain, and gut brain. And what happens then is that you begin to employ your full body. Head brain is really good at navigating three-dimensional space.
and four-dimensional time. Very good at that. But the heart brain is really good at calculating faith and trust. If you're sitting in the moment and you're in your presence and you have a preference which is different than the present moment, is faith and trust an advantage? Because faith and trust opens up, where is it, hope. Must be on a different drawing. <laughs> and hope, faith and trust are here. Hope is here in the mid-back. It's called the thoracic, the thoracic vertebra. Hope. So, you're starting to expand. You're in the moment and you've expanded. You're not satisfied. Jesus was the one that said, never be satisfied. Always be content. And so you're in the moment, but you are desiring your preference. And so you sit in the moment, expanding your, expanding your presence to ultimately include your preference. And you expand into faith and trust, hope, inspiration, the concept of who you are, your intention and your motivation. And suddenly you're sitting there and you're just singing, wow. And then a map begins to be drawn. Then you get to determine how much time are you going to take. You don't get to determine how much time you're going to take if you're not in this map. Because the amount of time that it will take if you're not in your map of destiny is as much time as it will take because you will have a tremendous amount of trial and error. But instead of trying three things to see if one works, you will try 10,000 things to see if one works. Evolution, they say, tries 50,000 things to see if one works. Every adjustment in evolution is a massive ratio. And so you reduce the number of trials by the amount of your awareness, which cuts the amount of time it is between where you are to become who you are. This is the purpose of our Kriyas. This is the purpose of getting ourselves to ride the wave of time in levity and gravity, in safety, and risk. If you ask the general population, safety or risk, what do you want? What's going to be the answer? Safety. And because they're not in an elevation, they're in a gravitational field, they are going to be focused in this quadrant, 
What is that quadrant called? Suffering. Suffering. And throughout history, what has been the statement? There is no growth without suffering. suffering. Because they wanted to grow while remaining safe. They wanted to achieve their preference while only recognizing part of their presence. What is the nature of an exhale? Hmm? Letting go. Because you don't know. You expect, but you don't know for sure that there's going to be another breath. But you are genetically programmed to let go. And that is why meditation on the breath is considered such a profound replication of existence. Because there is a moment between the exhale and the next inhale a nanosecond in which the only thing that keeps you going is faith and trust. And connecting to that moment between the Nam and the Sat is where you connect to the faith and trust. And that's why we do mantras. Satnam Wahe Guru Satnam. There's a break there, isn't there, between the Nam and the next Satnam Wahe Guru Satnam. Satnam Wahe Guru. It's a chant of being comfortable with letting go. with surrender. Because the more you surrender, the more you are present. Because surrendering is just surrendering the noise that is keeping you from your presence. Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever-expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more. All the classes can be found now on gurusing.teachable.com. There's going to be long-form classes available there, 30-minute long yoga classes with Kriya. There's also what is called a Kundalini Recharge. It's a brief lecture about something like depression or gratitude or achievement or partnering or success and it'll be a lecture with a pranayama breathing exercise and a single asana that you can just jump into during the day and then it'll round out with an affirmation or meditation and these will be like 11 minutes and then there are also going to be audio files which are guided 11 minute meditations which you can listen to and that's all within gurusing.com satnam